So, mic test, really, just to make sure everything's working. My name is Luke Reinhardt, and I'm 86 years old, and it's very nice to be here because the only other place I could be is in a grave. And now, a personal favourite of mine, stay right here for another instalment from Documentally. Here we are in Kennington Park, sat on a bench, the sounds of London bustling around us. What are we going to talk about today? I could throw words at you, and whatever words come up, see if they trigger any memories and stories from your 85 or is it six years five (laughs) so what do you think to that i like that idea very much let's start at the beginning then shipwreck i love shipwrecks i have been in only one and it almost killed me and my children uh but it did not stop me from buying big boats and going out on the ocean again. What is it about a shipwreck that you like? That I was not on it. We had been blown 200 miles south uh, toward the uninhabited uh, North African coast, and we would have been wrecked on the rocks within the next hour and a half when a English freighter that had been blown 200 miles south from its normal course instead of going north of Sardinia it was blown far south those 200 miles and uh, we had rigged SOS's and we shot off flares and uh, they came and uh, we had no motor at this time one of our rudders had broken off the catamaran and uh, The uh, ship took my wife and uh, three boys up aboard, and my wife stood on the deck and said, get my husband off that boat, because uh, I had read too many uh, uh, books by Sir Francis Chichester, and therefore thought I had to stay with the boat and sail on. My wife then talked to the captain, and the captain sent a crewman down and said, the captain would like to see you. So I... uh, grabbed a bottle of scotch as a gift to the captain and then climbed aboard the boat and you can imagine what the crew thought of this uh, sailor who had just wrecked his boat and was being saved and he has to have a bottle with him when he uh, goes aboard the next boat the uh, captain then when he saw me he knew I was a total incompetent and so when I told him I wanted to uh, stay on the boat he said no uh, you'll be dead on the African coast within an hour and a half we will try to tow you and you know of course that uh, if we tow you to a port uh, that we have salvage rights to the boat and I said fine let's go tow the boat so he did but within because of the huge seas uh, the boat would tip way up it was being pulled horizontal to the seas 
and uh, within five minutes it capsized. No, the mast ripped out. He was, you know, put his uh, tow line around the mast because the the, uh, the bow uh, cleats would not hold it. And uh, after the mast pulled out, the boat capsized, and uh, so it went alone to get wrecked on the coast of uh, Africa. But we were no longer in it. <clears throat> when I returned to Mallorca, I had just finished the Dice Man. Uh, people were expecting me to have arrived weeks before. My brother had come to Mallorca to be with me. My publisher of the Dice Man had come down uh, so that he and I could begin revising the manuscript. And all they knew was these huge waves were breaking against the Mallorcan coast. But the boat that saved me had tried to get a message to uh, Deya, but the message never got through. So they thought I was dead, and uh, I and my family went on to the nearest port, and eventually we made our way back to Deya, and uh, the boat had cost me my entire life savings. So if the boat was not insured, I was broke. Just before we left to pick up the boat, the insurance company wrote me a letter saying, we understand you're the new owner of this boat. Would you like to continue the insurance of the previous owner? But I, am, of course, had just finished writing The Dice Man. And of course, The Dice Man is all in favor of chance and risk. The last thing The Dice Man is in favor of is insurance. So I was planning to say no, then I thought, but this is the first time I will ever command a boat on a sea. I had, had sailed small boats, but never a big boat, and never on an ocean or sea. So I wrote, said, yes, uh, I would like you to insure me. Didn't send them any money, that's all. So I arrived back in Dea and go through my mail to see if I, uh, what, the, what Lloyd's of London has to say, but there is no letter from Lloyd's of London. But the next day I go through all my mail again, and there was one from Lloyd's of London. And I opened it up, and it said, Dear Mr. Cockroft, we are happy to insure your boat under the same terms as the previous owner. Please send uh, a check for the first six months uh, insurance of the first year's insurance. So I sent off a check for, let's say, 200 pounds, and then waited a week and then sent them a letter saying, the boat is a complete wreck. Would you please send me a check for 10,000 pounds? <laughs> no, uh, not uh, 6,000 pounds since uh, uh, the boat was $10,000 when I bought it. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't imagine investing everything you own in... Well, maybe I could. It sounds like an adventure. It sounds like an adventure. I'd like to think I would have the nerve to do that. So, let's pick a word. Balls. Balls, yes. Of course, that reminds me of the title of the novel I've just completed, which is The Hairy Balls and the End of Civilization. And the balls refer to aliens who have come from another universe. They are the size of a 
large beach ball and they are covered with a hairy fur and therefore we can call them hairy balls. And so when you give me the word ball, that is what I think of. Two of my favorite books from you, The Dice Man Goes Without Saying and Invasion, with Invasion as well, really playful, calls for revolution in the subtext. Yes. Uh, you have a lot to say about the current state of the world and politics without making it boring at all. Yes, when I first began writing in my 20s, I tried writing essays about the self, which has been a, an interest, interest of mine from then until the present. And I, it was so boring, and I realized it was boring, and so I have never tried to write nonfiction ever since. I become very interested in, in the Dice Man. I was interested in why human beings make themselves unhappy. In invasion and the hairy balls and the end of civilization, I'm interested in why does contemporary American consumer and capitalist and militaristic civilization make the world much less happy uh, and successful than it could be. Uh, it is a critique of American culture, but uh, the creatures who are making this critique, the aliens from a different universe, they came to Earth not to learn or not to teach or not to conquer. They came to have fun, to play. And so even though they are totally appalled at the mess that human beings are making uh, of life on Earth and threatening to destroy life on Earth, uh, partly through progress creating global warming, which is leading to mass extinctions, they play with the idea and play with possible solutions rather than write seriously about them. If the book is not funny, it is failing. One of the words on here is Trump, just because I felt like it needed to be there. Does that trigger any emotion? Not, not this afternoon. I'm enjoying life too much. Uh, in my long life, I have never in fiction or in reality encountered and on a human being I find so unbelievable. It is fantastic that he lies and exaggerates with everything he says, and he's made a tremendous success, both in his original business career, but even more as a politician, with all these lies. He's got almost half the American population thinking that he is truthful, and it's the mass media that is fake news. He is the most successful user of the media, especially, of course, Twitter, of any human being in history. And the people who are trying to shout, no, this is lie, this is exaggeration, this is untrue, they never get heard. And then he is such an obnoxious human being, I've never known anyone who 
could only say bad things about people, could never say thank you, could never say I'm sorry, could never say it's my fault. And of course he has an ego the size of uh, the galaxy. So when you say Trump, those are some of the thoughts that come to my mind. But another thought comes that he is not the problem. The establishment, the corporate establishment of the wealthy that controls the media and almost all governments, Trump is not responsible for that. He is a symptom of that. And if he died and the vice president took power, the policies that have been followed would not change. The, uh, the bombings all over the world would not change. The uh, tax cuts for the wealthy would not change. The gross inequality between the rich and everybody else would not change. Trump is horrible just because of the sort of human being he is, not because his policies are any different from the Republican establishment. I feel like we need an antidote to me bringing you down. Um, <laughs> what about the word Zen? Ah, the word Zen. Zen means playfulness and fun, letting go, being attached to nothing, not being serious. Therefore, it is one of my favorite words. And it's lovely to hear you use it. It's something I knew very little about until I picked up a few books and, of course, discovered Alan Watts. Oh, yes. Yes, Alan Watts was <clears throat> a great influence on me before I wrote The Dice Man. He is an American author who wrote about why humans make themselves miserable, and he was a student of Buddhism and uh, a very good essayist. Uh, I liked his writing very much. Uh, so I'm glad you discovered him through me. I can't say that I am a master or a practitioner, but um, its essence uh, resonates with me, as, as do both his and your words when, when you talk about such things. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Let's um, let's look at the word burial. Burial should uh, resonate with a man my age. Uh, however, I do not plan to be buried. If I had my wish, uh, after I died, I would be thrown into the one-acre pond or lake I have on my property and the fish and the birds uh, and, and the bacteria would decay my body and it would serve a use uh, for my pond. But that is not legal in the United States, so I plan to be cremated uh, with my ashes thrown onto the pond, which uh, won't do the fish much good, uh, but will let my uh, children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren uh, enjoy the pond even more, uh, knowing they are swimming in George. I guess this gets you over the problem of a headstone and which one of your personalities you, you place on there. Because as, as, 
If there was a headstone, would you have a name on it? If so, which one? And let's not forget, we're not talking about your first death here. This will probably be your second or your third. Uh, no, a grave and a headstone are of no, uh, no interest to me. So, have you thought of a green burial? They're quite popular over here. Mm -hmm. I, might, I buried my grandmother, obviously, legally, and my grandfather and my mother. And because of the laws over here with space, you tend to be moved from a graveyard after 60 years. Uh, but if you have a green burial, you can choose a native tree, uh, which will feed off your body. You can't be embalmed for that reason. And then your body is guaranteed to be there continuously because it will become a woodland and, and at least for 100 years protected. Yes, I would like such a uh, burial, perhaps even more than a cremation. For one thing, it'll be cheaper, which is nice. <laughs> and as I say, I, I would like uh, my body to be become part of what grew me in the first place. Uh, cremation is not something that is natural to nature, but uh, going into the earth and feeding other forms of life is very much a part of nature. So yes, I would do that. If it's legal in the U.S., I will do it. But I, I, I have not heard it being legal in the U.S. Probably because it has the word green in it. <laughs> yes. Word. Here we go. Adventure. I'm very lucky that in my old age, I have a now 60-year-old son, my oldest son, who from the moment he was born has been very active. When we first took him to an ocean beach and set him down on the ground, he could barely walk, but he simply walked right toward the ocean and right into it without any hesitation or any fear, and we had to rescue him. Uh, the fact that he was momentarily in danger didn't seem to bother him at all, and he has been adventurous ever since. And I think I am still alive today only because he has kept me active by making me take trips that I would not naturally take, or more importantly, uh, dragging me off to whitewater kayaking, which I find incredibly enjoyable. In my old age, the only sports I can participate in involves sitting, and a kayak is a, an incredibly comfortable boat for me with a good backrest, and I can kayak for hours, uh, whereas I can, cannot walk for uh, more than half an hour. And uh, as I say, uh, adventure keeps me much younger than I would otherwise be, and I have a son who helps me do that. And then when opportunities are offered to me, when I, as recently I was invited to come to uh, Perpignan in France and then on to Paris, essentially to promote my work, but uh, it was a good chance to see parts of the world that I had visited only very briefly before. And uh, I met so many lovely people and done, done some very uh, enjoyable, not risky things. So again, uh, adventure keeps one young, and I'm lucky to be uh, still be able to walk. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed that you have the schedule that you do, um, but fitting, fitting a lot in, that's great. And getting to see so many of the people as well. Um, I was quite touched that after a very long line of 
book signing, we had left um, the venue in Paris and there were people still in the alleyway <laughs> wanting their book signed and you were more than happy to stop and, uh, and converse. It was a, a very lovely evening at the Maison de la Poésie in uh, Paris in which I was interviewed by a bilingual uh, interviewer and uh, she was on my right and to my left was this incredible translator who would then whisper in my ear what my uh, interviewer was asking in French so the audience, mostly French, could understand. And the system worked very, very well. We were able to communicate very, very well. You were there. I was, and there was laughter in French and English, which was really nice to hear. Plenty of laughs. Magic. The word magic. Well, I've never been particularly interested in magic or magic shows, but I wrote a novel... Uh, called Adventures of Whim or Whim and uh, in the description of the novel it says that Whim is a magical teenager who goes on a search for ultimate truth while being caught up in the world of teenagers namely he plays football and uh, he has a girlfriend he's interested in and he has a best friend who is uh, always uh, trying to get him to do things to make him more human but whim is magical in the sense that he uh, does things by whim and has no ambitions uh, no ambitions to be smart or rich or uh, to win And uh, he's magical in the sense that birds will come and land on his shoulder. Animals are often drawn to him, and when he takes a walk, they are following him. So I guess in that sense, I've been interested in magic. uh, Because obviously, uh, birds do not come and alight on most people's shoulders, except to poop. (laughs) which is meant to be good luck but I don't know how that works Uh, but that's never happened to me when I get uh, bird poop on uh, uh, my shoulder uh, it means only I have to have my uh, sweater or shirt cleaned self now you talk a lot about the multiplicity and there's a few books I've read that have stopped me in my tracks and made me reflect very differently or, or give me a different lens on the world. Um, Schumacher's A Guide for the Perplexed was one of them. And reading your words in the Dice Man about the embracing of many selves because there is no ultimate self. Do you still believe that there is no ultimate self inside our multifaceted personalities? Yes. Uh, If you think there's some basic self, then shouldn't you try to 
get to it all the time and let that basic self be your controlling uh, being uh, through all your life, but that narrows life so horribly. Uh, I'm quite comfortable living very many uh, different lives and different selves. When I'm living them, I mean, today, I don't feel multiple right now as I'm talking, but at the end of the day, if I look back, I will say, well, I was with my wife, I'm, I'm different from when I'm with my brother. Uh, when I'm with you, I'm different from both. When I'm alone, uh, I'm different. My brother remarried about 20 years ago, and when he first brought his new wife, they were both in their 50s at that point, or when he brought her to our home in Canaan in the foothills of the Berkshires in uh, New York State, after we had been together just half an hour, an hour, uh, she said, her face an expression of awe and surprise, Jim is a totally different person with you than I've ever seen him before. Uh, and my brother and I have had a very close and long relationship. We both have three sons, and they're all about the same ages. We've lived together once in Mexico City for a year, once in Milwaukee for a year. Uh, he visits us all the time in Canaan. Uh, we have very similar tastes. Uh, he writes, he's written about 15 or more nonfiction books about uh, Latin America, mostly. And uh, he's a, in politics, he's a radical or progressive or even on his webpage, he describes himself as a revolutionary. Uh, so we, uh, we are very close. So I, I doubt she uh, would have said that when Jim meets other friends. Uh, I'm sure they, Jim is closer to what S Susan, his new wife, uh, uh, thought he was. But uh, when she saw our interaction, he was a totally different being. Now that doesn't prove multiple selves. I don't know what does. If you could write down a life philosophy that you would l like to be quoted as saying, you may already have that out there. Is there anything that springs to mind? Play. Play on. Have fun. There's nothing you have to do. Nowhere you have to go. Nobody you have to be. Roll on. That encompasses it. There's another thing that encompasses encompasses it. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Now, if you look at that, those words of a children's uh, nursery song closely. Row, row, row your boat gently down a stream. You're flowing gently. Merrily are you flowing gently. Life is but a dream. There's nothing important to do it. There's no ultimate reality to it. It is all illusion like a dream. That, that nursery rhyme is not common in the UK? Very much so. I oh, was okay. desperate to sing it with you. Why have I never seen that written? 
on a gravestone. It would be perfect. Yes, I agree. Well, I'm, I'm booking that now, if anybody's listening to yes, this. He's got me interested <laughs> in having a gravestone, after all. I, I finished um, a book um, when I was walking to meet a German girlfriend, and it was a Narcissus and Goldmund. Oh, yes. Probably By one. Hess. By Yes, Herman. Herman Hess, Narcissus and Goldman, and at the time I was living the life of the monk, just gallivanting and sleeping rough and drinking wine and having a, a lot of fun. And when I returned the book to her, I slammed it closed, handed it over to her, and I said, that is the single most incredible book I think I've ever read. And she took me by the hand. We must have walked 20 paces because where she'd arranged to meet me unbeknown to her that I would be reading that book was next to Hess's grave oh and it was just a boulder and it just said Hess <laughs> <laughs> well I wish I were that famous uh, do, yes, you, do you really though do you wish you were that famous no 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 I uh Fame is sometimes enjoyable, but uh, most of the time it's uh, boring and distracting. Uh, one of the few times in my life that I've... In the first place, I haven't been famous. I'm not famous in the U.S. as I, as I am somewhat in the U.K. and now in France. Uh, so I've had no sense of fame whatsoever normally. But... Uh, when I was walking in down a, an alley to get into the entrance to the Maison de la Poésie, uh, there were people just outside the entrance for some reason in an arc. And as I came toward them, they all began applauding. And I have no idea how, how they could recognize me, uh, but it was very, very... Uh, warming experience but that's the first time in my whole life that anything like that has happened so uh, I miss fame and uh, until that moment I w didn't feel I was missing anything <laughs> I was so glad to be able to share that moment because I did write that you were very politely mobbed <laughs> <laughs> well that's a slight exaggeration but I'll accept that Oh yeah, you you were with me when we left, and if uh, people uh, came up to me or uh, or a couple anyway, I was also up. there at the doors when you were brought in. Oh, actually, there. but there were so many people. I mean, I couldn't even get a photograph of you. Ah. So yeah, it's it's interesting. I think being respected and thanked for your body of work, the amount of work you've done, and of course your art is maybe different to what many think and see fame as today. I mean, we seem to be famous for some very strange things. So. Drugs. <laughs> if you'd asked me that in 1970, when I was writing The Dice Man and Deya, you would have gotten a very, very different answer. Uh, but now I'm 85 years old and uh, suffering from some serious and some very minor uh, uh, disabilities of old age and uh, therefore the word drugs 
automatically refers not to pot or uh, LSD, but uh, to uh, aspirin and uh, a drug called lupin, which I have to take uh, to uh, fight a prostate cancer, which is trying to spread into the rest of my body and kill me. Uh, so that's what the word drugs means now. So you did your fair share of experimentation? Uh, not compared to most peri uh, people of that uh, period, but yes, uh, uh, I enjoyed pot tremendously, and it helped me write the Dice Man. Not be Whenever I tried to write something after smoking pot, I would love it five minutes after I'd written it, uh, but the next day I would have to tear it up and throw it away because it was utterly worthless. Uh, But part of the strange story of luck that got the Dice Man written and published involved the fact that I was a full-time teacher in a Mediterranean Institute in Daya in the fall of 1969. And then at the end of 1969, this English publisher offered me a contract to finish the Dice Man, but I would have had very little time to finish it that spring, except that my I was the associate director of this institute, and uh, my friend uh, the, was the director, but he and I uh, had begun rubbing each other the wrong way even before we came to Daya. He loved to drink alcohol, but I preferred pot, and so when we arrived, I was perfectly open to smoking pot with the students, but of course, pot was illegal in Spain and alcohol was not and so he uh, uh, was very upset uh, with me for that reason and you talk about adventure uh, another thing that upset him was uh, I took uh, a, a group of students to climb the mountain above Dea and uh, we went up the usual trail and I think Colin, Colin Wilson may have been with us, uh, the English author, who was a guest writer at the Institute. And we get up there, and I, not wanting to retrace my steps, uh, said, let's try to find a new trail down. So off we went, uh, looking for a new trail down. But it began to get dark and we had not found a new trail down and we had walked so far in one direction that we could not you know, go back to the trail we knew existed. So we had to sleep on the mountaintop that night. And then the next morning, uh, we found within 15 minutes another trail down. We'd been very close, but we hadn't found it the previous evening. And so we went back down and uh, to the village. But of course, the uh, <laughs> in the novel I wrote about Deya called uh, Naked Before the World I wrote it as when the uh, students and I got down uh, and we got down near the beach for some reason so we had to come up from the Kala to, uh, to the village itself and as we came up the Mallorquins all stared at us and say, said Los Muertos, Los Muertos They've come back from the dead. <laughs> well, uh, the director of the institute uh, did not find that funny at all, that he almost lost a guest author up on the mountain. 
and that George had uh, dis, uh, endangered the students. So he held that against me. He would have fired me on the spot, but you know there were still classes to be meeting. But I had a sabbatical coming to me, which I'd planned to take the next fall. But he said, George, I don't want you to be part of the Institute anymore. Take your sabbatical in the spring. So suddenly I had all spring to write the Dice Man and uh, did. And so that was another lucky break that permitted me uh, to finish the book. And everything changed. Yes, but it shows the advantages of smoking pot and getting lost. How did it come about that you died, but not really? Well, uh, when I was in, in my late 70s, I wrote a piece that was supposed to be an email that said, we are happy to report to you that Luke Reinhardt has died. He wanted us to write you so that you wouldn't think he was avoiding or neglecting your emails. And it went on in this t tone, uh, which I thought was a comic tone and what everybody would recognize as a put on, uh, talking about my, my last hours and uh, how the family gathered around and wanted to hear my last words. Uh, and, uh, and I desperately sat up and everybody was waiting and waiting and I said, so long. And that those were my last words. Well, I sent this, I did nothing with it. I wrote it and it just sat there for two years. And then I got tired of not dying. So uh, about five years ago now, I sent it out to about 25 or 30 family, friends, and some people who barely knew who were fans, only email fans. I mean, I can't see how anybody could think that my wife or some friend said, we are happy to report that Luke Reinhardt has died. Uh, but at any rate, some people took it quite seriously, including my friend that you have just met in the last two days, Neil Foster, who was one of my very best UK friends. He was very upset with me. And uh, another English friend, uh, Julie Alpine, also thought it was true and uh, was very upset. My brother immediately knew I was being playful, and other people did, but most people were in doubt. And uh, a years later, people would say, oh, I thought you were dead. I, I, read, a, I read an email. <laughs> so, uh, and then a, uh, a British uh, author uh, wrote a, uh, a long article about it, which was published in I can't remember if it was The Independent or GQ or anyway, some English magazine about the whole situation, my writing it, and then people's reactions. And he reported, you know, people's uh, reaction in that article. I didn't receive the email, but I was one of those people that suddenly was, I thought you were dead, I thought you were dead. And I was so pleased to see that article with you standing on the, the lake. I think it was The Guardian. Stand, over over a year. on the... Uh, pond that we have, the one I want to be uh, buried or uh, my ashes scattered in, 
in the winter when it's frozen and uh, the, the photo is of the ice is cracked into a star shape and I'm standing right in the middle of where apparently somebody fell through. Uh, and that was an article by Tanya Gold, I think, for The Guardian. That's right. Yeah, I was so pleased to read that. Uh, if I hadn't read that, I I wouldn't be sat here with you talking and sharing and really enjoying your company. Well, uh, did I discover your blog and write you, or did you write me and then I discovered your blog? I wrote you, and it was because I discovered you were alive, because you were on my list of people to write to. You were someone who had influenced my life, and we don't write enough analogue um, sit down and think about this. I couldn't find your address um, at the time. Uh, all I could find was articles about you dying, so I was really upset about that. And then I thought, OK, uh, you're alive. This is fantastic. So I wrote an email, and I just said, I, you probably get a 1,000 of these totally appreciate your work and it shaped me as a human being in many ways because implementing chance in a controlled manner gave me way more stories and way more adventures than I feel I have a right to and I just wanted to say thank you so much and you responded almost immediately because my sign off was one thing you have taught me is to play experiment and have fun that was one of the best letters I've ever received, but one of the real pleasures of uh, acquiring an audience of readers is that some of them write me and they are so creative and talented that I get to know very talented uh, creative people and I get to appreciate their work as they have appreciated mine. And of course I immediately uh, went to your blog and began reading it and uh, appreciated the fact that he seemed to mention the Dice Man about every uh, th three or four uh, issues. But, uh, and I've come to call you the ultimate Renaissance man because I've never known a person who had so many interests, writes about so many things in his blog. I mean, I, I have about one-tenth the number of interests uh, uh, that you do. Music, literature, Boating, traveling, drinking, meeting people. I guess I have many interests, but uh, they pale compared to the number you have. This is why you are writing so much and I am <laughs> blogging so much. I think it takes a little bit more discipline and a, a, maybe a reining in of curiosity to be able to yes, channel it yes, into yes, the pages yes, of a book. Yes. Well, the older you get, the uh, the less you can follow all your uh, uh, extraneous interest, uh, which is why I've written two books in three years, whereas if you look back over my whole record, I'm usually three or four years between novels. Uh, and it's because uh, I was doing so many other things that interested me earlier, but now because of the limitations of my physical abilities, uh, there's much less I can do, much less I'm interested in doing, and therefore I'm getting more writing done. And I look forward to reading whatever you continue to produce. 
I know I said something the other night at dinner when I thought it was farewell, uh, and it was something along the lines of, if I'm as able and smart and fun and filled with a passion for life as you are at your age, then I... I know I said half as much <laughs> that I've lived a great life. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure and honour to, to to know you. Thank you, George. Thank uh, you, Luke. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm afraid I'm very tired now. Can I lie down? <laughs> I'll go and get your whiskey. Yes, it's that hour. Documentally.